Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod. I'm Paul Jarvis, editor of Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin, and I'm joined by my deputy, Jonathan Davis. Hi, Paul. Today, I'm interviewing Ian Brown, head of banking at the UK Infrastructure Bank. Ian joined the bank in 2022, arriving from LGPS Central, the pooled local government pension investment manager, where he had been since 2020. Prior to that, Ian spent 14 years at Lloyd's Banking Group, where latterly he was head of industrials and infrastructure and head of large corporates Europe. Following the interview, Jonathan and I will pick out some of the main points to come out of the conversation. Great. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Ian. I think if we get started, perhaps you can start by telling us a bit about your role at the bank and what you've been focusing on over the past year since your arrival. Of course. I had the banking and investments team uh, at UKIP. So that's the area responsible for finding the transactions that uh, need our help um, and then for, for making sure they're executed. I've been here 10 months today, actually, and the bank's only two years old. So we're, we're still in building phase. So I've spent a lot of the last 10 months on hiring people to make sure we've got the right number of the right people, because without them, obviously, we can't be very effective. And I should say, in case any of them are listening, that I'm, I'm delighted with the, the experience and the ability that we've been able to attract, I think. Our mission is a real pull for people. So a lot of time spending hiring people. Other than that, I've spent uh, a good amount of time talking to various stakeholders in the market and to make sure that they understand our role and how we can be useful. And to help with that, we've put a sector-focused origination structure in place to bring some expertise to what we're doing. Um, and the rest of the time has been um, helping on, on transactions. So um, it's it's been busy uh, and definitely no dull moments, that's for sure. That's good. And can you just give an idea perhaps of sort of how large you expect your team in particular to be? You know, obviously, you're in that recruitment phase, as you say. So the banking team will be around 60 people by the time we've finished. We're, we're probably 80% of the way there now. One more senior hire to make and, and a few other positions. And then the broader bank will be going up into the mid-200s, and we're about halfway there at the moment. Okay, great. And so what would you then say are your main priorities, really, as the bank develops and matures and moves into its kind of active phase, if you like. I think for my area, origination, it's, it's probably more of the same. We, we've got to finish the build out. And I'm hoping that sometime towards the end of this year, we will be complete there. And then it's it's making sure the market knows we're here, which may sound a little bit strange, but we do need to make sure that people understand where we can help, uh, what we're here to do. And, and I think in particular, how best to work with us. We're finding at the moment that some advisors treat us like any other bank and very much on the basis that we're not here to compete with anybody. That's not the right way to use us. So we're trying to make sure that people understand that. And then really, it'll be, once we're properly up and running, it'll be a focus on transactions that change markets and that crowd others in. As I say, we're not trying to compete with anybody. So it's important that we're, we're doing the right thing. Yeah, I think that's kind of a key question for the market as well, isn't it? It's around how you manage that balance, really, between being a catalyst for new developments, new investments, and crowding people in, and not being... An organisation that crowds out things that are already there and money that's already available. So, yeah, can you talk maybe a bit about that and how you manage that? Yeah, it really is important to us that the, the way we think about it is we have a, a finite amount of public money, so twenty-two billion pounds in total, and if we end up using that where private capital should be or could be, then we're wasting that finite resource. So we we take it very importantly, and that. There have been a number of situations where we've been working on a transaction for various reasons, 
they've been able to gather enough private sector capital, and then we step back or we've scaled back. So we're, we're, I like to think we're very disciplined about it. I mean, most of the time it's generally not too difficult to work out whether we're needed or whether we're not. But sometimes it's not clear. So as I say, we work on things and, and then we'll step back. And I think of it, what we can do is a, is a bit of a continuum. We can do things on our own simply because it, uh, more often than not, a technology is perhaps too early stage for anyone else to become involved. At the other end of the spectrum, you know, we may be adding to a sum of money that a company is trying to raise um, and we can be useful there. And then in the middle, we can look at first loss structures or mezzanine structures where we can take some risk out of a structure and then gather other people in. So we're there, but we're performing a different role. But it really is important that we're, we're not growing people out. So I'd like to think we're very disciplined about that. And I mean, it hasn't yet happened yet, but if it did, we, we did a transaction and then we found that somebody was knocking on the door saying I could have done that. Well, subject of the company being happy, we'd, we'd probably just sell down to them. That wouldn't be an issue for us. So as I say, we're really disciplined about it. Yeah. And obviously, as a bank, your the government mandate is not to make a loss, but actually to make a profit. So I guess there's a, a tension there as well, isn't there, that, that you can't simply be a bank that provides money to kind of all and sundry who, you know, no matter how kind of likely they are to make a profit or a loss, you, you have to kind of make those judgments. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I think, I mean, we, we have a, a fairly public uh, return on equity that we need to make of two and a half to four percent. Most of the transactions we look at uh, are comfortably above that. But you're right. I mean, we could we could deploy the entire twenty-two billion pounds uh, running around competing with other banks if we wanted to. But that just achieves nothing at all. The idea is that we're here to fix problems. I don't want us to be doing deals that don't need us. But what I do want us to be doing is talking to to companies that need equity or debt that they just can't raise enough or can't raise any from the from the, uh, the conventional private market and that's where we can be that's where we can be helpful yeah yeah and just i guess on that your background is obviously very much in banking whether it's you know the, your previous role at lgps and prior to that lloyd's banking so how do you think that kind of background really i guess equips you for for this role that is i guess similar but also very different it is similar and very different i suppose there's a number of aspects to it at the core of it, we're lending and investing. So those are things that I've, I've done my entire career. So I'm very comfortable with that. I think one of the interesting differences, which requires a bit of rewiring, perhaps for myself, certainly for, for others, is that mainstream infrastructure is generally very risk-averse, very safe. The key thing that we are doing is not doing those safe deals because there's plenty of private capital that will do them. And so there's a bit of rewiring required to get people comfortable to be taking more risk than they might have been taking earlier on in their careers. But I, I think we're, we're moving in the right direction there. When the bank first started, I think we uh, did a number of transactions where, where we were needed and they were the right things to do, but we weren't taking arguably a huge amount of risk. I think as, um, as we progress, we will start to take more risk because I think that's how we have more impact um, on the transactions that need us. Okay, yeah. And then sort of moving, I guess, towards some of the different roles that the bank has, you know, you can invest equity, you can invest debt, the guarantees scheme comes under your remit now and, and all those kind of things. So you can, I've heard various people from the bank talk about how you can play different positions in the equity stack, depending on the needs of that particular project, which is obviously a good thing. We've seen you do a few debt-based deals, if you like more standard bank type deals. I'm just wondering, as the bank grows and matures, why the equity comes in and where you see that those powers playing more of a role perhaps yeah i think equity will become a very significant part of what we do as you know we've got 
22 billion pounds of capital in total. 8 billion pounds of that is for use as either debt or equity, and we're reasonably indifferent between the two. So we've, we've got plenty of firepower. So far, the way we've used equity is by way of funds, and that's just been very deliberate because we needed to hire the right capability to be able to deploy equity. And by investing in funds, we've been able to get money out active whilst we've been doing that hiring. I think the change that people will start to see now is we are concentrating much more on um, investing, either co-investing alongside others or even direct straight into, into companies. And if I think of our pipeline today, we've, we've got about a dozen deals looking at both. And some of those will start to happen very soon, I think. And where we're using equity, it's mostly in early stage companies, not all, mostly. Again, we need to be very disciplined there because we don't want to become a venture capital investor. That's a different setup. But we do need to really be focusing on companies that are at the point at which they're scaling up. They're moving from prototype to commercialization and they need help scaling up. So we're um, we're looking at quite a few companies that, that fit into that area. So I think you'll see us um, you'll see us being pretty active in, in equity fairly soon. Okay, that's interesting. And I think I guess another question on that then is is around whether you see the bank going in as a joint venture partner in in certain projects in similar structures to that. Is that something that is again on the horizon potentially? The key thing there is that we don't want to be anything other than a financial investor. That's what we're good at. That's what we've been set up to do. We're not looking to take control positions, again, because we don't want to be running the companies. We're very happy to be a fairly major shareholder, but we don't want control positions. So today we're not looking for joint ventures. It's definitely not a focus. If that made sense as part of a deal structure, or maybe as part of the exit plan, we we would look at it. But um, I don't think it's going to be our, um, our principal focus. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And I think just, just coming back to your point about where you are investing at the moment as well there are a few sort of comments really around some of the investments you've made particularly at fund level rather than in specific projects and people are sort of questioning whether that is actually genuinely needed you know in terms of would there not be other investors who'd be interested in being part of those funds so i just wonder if you kind of can come back a little bit on that yes if, if i think of the investments that have been made in the fund so far, some of those that I'm aware that are being considered in those funds pipelines. I would say that there isn't a lot of people competing against them. And we've been, as we've done more more funds than the most too recent you'll be aware of, the two battery storage funds we announced back in April, I think. The investment mandates for those funds have become increasingly bespoke. And so we're trying to make sure that where our money is being used, and bear in mind that money is then crowding in other money. That's, that's the whole idea is we, we provide our money on a, on a matched basis. It's not as if we just give the money and they don't need to raise anything else. So we only get our money at all if they raise um, matching funds. That We've been very careful about um, setting out how that can be used. I'm comfortable that we're not crowding out people there as far as we can tell. Moving on, I guess, how do you see the bank then evolving, particularly as the market develops? And you're, you're talking about green technologies, obviously, a prime example, and it's a big area of the bank's remit and focus, but also a very fast-moving area. So how do you see the role of the bank there, whether it be encouraging private sectors to get involved in more riskier deals or almost backing the winners in some cases, I guess, and trying to make sure you're not backing losers as well? I think encouraging people into transactions because we're there is, is that's what we've been set up for. That's squarely in line with what we're trying to do. It's giving finance that, as I say, by, by our presence or through our structuring, 
And so taking out risk for others that will, will get them comfortable to, um, to, to work with us. So if you think about what, why uh, lenders or investors might not be comfortable in, in a company, you may have too much technology risk for them, so maybe it's too early stage, or, or there might be too much market risk. It may be that in some cases the tenor just needs to be a bit longer than particularly banks might be able to take um, to make the transaction work, or in particular policy risk. I mean, if the one thing we ought to be able to take compared to other people, it would be more policy risk. So if any of those risks are present by us being involved in the transaction, either through structuring, so a first loss piece or a mess piece where we can really take some risk out and then get other people more comfortable, or maybe if they can't raise the entire amount of capital that's needed, we can add to that. So an example might be something like the battery storage area. Battery storage now, has it feels like it's got a reasonable amount of momentum. There's plenty of equity around in conventional, straightforward lithium-ion battery storage. There are a few banks who've been active on the debt side, but not really that many. And so we see ourselves needing to become more involved as the size of the batteries increase and therefore the amount of funding that's required increases. So, so we can help there with just getting to the right number. And then I think more importantly, finding ways to mitigate some of the risk, particularly the market risk, the merchant risk that uh, lenders are taking. So we made a point a couple of months ago of, of talking to most of the major infrastructure banks who hadn't yet done a battery storage deal and saying to them, why haven't you? What can we do to get you comfortable going into battery storage? And the, the merchant risk came out loud and clear amongst other things. And so we're now offering to the market, to developers, that we can provide this first loss structure or a MERS structure, which unlike a leverage deal, it's not pushing the leverage. This is providing an extra cushion so that we can try to get senior lenders more comfortable to coming into a transaction by taking some of the risk out for them. Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. I've recently done an article on battery storage and the kind of opportunity for PPP type battery storage deals. And I think you know that issue of, as you say, kind of merchant risk is is a very big one for people. And I think maybe it's perhaps why you don't see government PPP type arrangements, but actually, and as you say, you know, the, the, the private market in terms of equity is quite bullish, I think, on, on battery storage. But I guess, yeah, as you say, the sort of the banking market is maybe taking a different view of that risk profile. So I guess, yeah, it's not not a classic PPP market, but obviously one that as a public entity, you can take a role. Yeah, as I say, with us being our own transactions, we're trying to accelerate that market. You know, it's, it's, it's not a nascent market that needs us to come in maybe on a sole basis to make something work, certainly not the, the more conventional batteries, but by being in it and coming up with the right sort of structures, we're hoping we can really accelerate it. Yeah. I just want to quickly touch on the guarantees programme. As I mentioned earlier, that's obviously part of your remit now. I just wonder what you see the guarantees programme, kind of what role do you see that playing in the future? I'm hoping it's going to be pretty significant, again, out of the £22 billion of capital that we have, £10 billion of that is not for use by way of guarantees. So it should be a pretty major part of our activities. There's a number of ways we can use it. Firstly, just a straightforward financial guarantee. So think of that as a maybe a bit like the old monoline wrap of old, where we can take a tranche of debt, we can apply the, the sovereign guarantee to it, so it gets the same rating as, as HMT, and then that will be sold into the market that otherwise would buy gilts and they get the pickup. Um, because of the liquidity and, and, and the slight premium on it. That was a well-established market. It happens occasionally now. We think there's a big role for that, and particularly as we look at the insurers, for example, and as they have some of their restrictions relaxed with the Solvency 2 changes, we're hoping that they might be quite big buyers of that sort of paper, um, and it can be 
normal floating rate, it can be a fixed rate, it can be inflation linked. Um, so there's a number of things we, we can do there. And we can also provide that to banks, but I think the biggest potential impact uh, will, be, will be wrapping it. And then we're also looking at using guarantee to provide credit enhancement on projects. So again, this is the, think of it as an unfunded MES facility. So it would cover cost overruns, for example. So it's, it's providing an extra cushion between the senior debt and between the equity, that if something doesn't go according to plan, then there is the certainty that there is our facility sitting there waiting to be drawn. Typically, that should help with the, the credit rating on the senior debt. So we think that could be useful. And then lastly, we're looking at whether we can use it um, by way of a performance guarantee as well. Um, so just providing assurance to people that um, companies should be doing what they say they're going to be doing. I think you'll see a lot of it. I, and again, if I think of the pipeline today, the, you know, the guarantee was approved to be used back in January. We've now got a good half a dozen transactions on the go. I mean, they will inevitably take a while to deliver. But um, I think you'll see us start to use the guarantee quite a lot. Great. Okay. Yeah. And using, I guess, quite different ways than we've seen in the past from the sounds of it. So that's that's quite exciting to see. I guess finally then, where do you see the biggest opportunities then for the bank to invest across sectors, across sort of types of investment? As I say, we, we, we can deploy debt, we can deploy, and, and that's senior, it's mezzanine, it's various colours and flavours. I expect that will be a good portion of what we're doing. We can deploy equity. And we've got a very healthy pipeline there now. We can deploy guarantees that I've just talked about. We've got a healthy pipeline there. So other than the allocation between the debt and the equity, the, the 10 billion and the 8 billion, we're pretty indifferent as to how we use it. The idea is that whatever transaction needs, we will go in with the full toolbox. We don't go in thinking something needs to be or must be one or the other. So uh, we're very flexible there. And then on sectors, no, we, we cover five main sectors. Clean energy, I think, will be by far the biggest Green transport probably next. So that's everything from EV chargers to electric and hydrogen buses and various things in between. We've done one water-related deal. We'll do a couple of others. We're looking at some waste and we're looking at digital. And we're also increasingly looking at natural capital, um, which today is a very nascent sector. Um, but I think there'll be more activity there. So we've got a lot of storage in the pipeline. We've done our first transaction in that sector last month and, and there'll be more to come. I think hydrogen will be a pretty active market, um, particularly once some of the grant decisions are made. And, and you'll be aware there's a, a chicken and egg issue there that producers of hydrogen don't have enough offtake and people who want to offtake it can't find enough production. And we're trying to sit in the middle there and see if we can help um, both sides of, of, of that equation to work. CCUS, I think, undoubtedly will be busy next year. I mean, parts of the CCUS structure may be relatively straightforward for project finance banks to get their minds around, but the amounts are very large. And it's the first time it's going to be done on, well, at all in this country, let alone at scale. So I think we'll have a role in CCUS. And ports, I think, is probably my other big pick. I mean, none of the ports in this country are really set up to help with the floating offshore wind farm setups that's going to be required in the next few years. The size of the keys that are required, the strength of the keys, the amount of space that's required for manufacturing and assembly um, are enormous. So I think there's an awful lot of capital needed for, for ports and you'll have seen a couple of days ago we announced the Port of Tyne deal. I think we'll be doing more of that sort of transaction to, to, to get the country ready for, for floating offshore. Okay. Thank you very much for your time in. That's a very good run through of uh, what the bank is doing and where it's up to and, and what the future holds. So yeah, exciting times and yeah, thank you again for your time. My pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. 
So, Jonathan, what stood out for you in that conversation? Well, first of all, really enjoyed the conversation and thanks to Ian for talking to us. We've spoken quite a bit about infrastructure banks of various forms, some prospective new ones in the United States. There's obviously one in Canada, which has been running for a little while and it's picking up some steam. So it's really interesting to hear what the UK's approach to that would be, because it's not the same as other places. And that key question of where it's going to fit into the ecosystem and what role it's going to play is fundamental. And I think it was really great to hear Ian lay out that pathway forward. And the sense that I got from him is that same as a lot of places in the world, it's not a financing problem. There isn't a shortage of money that wants to go into infrastructure at the moment. But unblocking the pipes and being able to make projects bankable is a space where there is some need for an entity like the UK Infrabank to come in and help do that, particularly in the context of net zero and also just aging infrastructure. There is a lot of infrastructure that needs replacing But it's quite a nebulous problem that they're trying to solve. For different sectors, it's different elements. And you could hear through what Ian was saying that there's a number of different ways they're going to approach it. And he said something along the lines of that they're going to do whatever the project needs. Like it could be equity, could be debt, could be mezzanine kind of setups, could also be guarantees. So they've got a lot on their plate. And it's good to see that they're building up the team to be able to do that. Yes, and it's good, isn't it? Because I think when we talk about the UK market and you know, history and PFI, and a lot of people will talk almost in a bemused sense around the idea that the government back in, when it was it, 2018, took PFI, PF2 off the table as an option. And you know, the nice thing about the bank is that it's got a whole range of options there that mean it's not a one product for one solution or a one-size-fits-all operation that, as you say, you know, the debt, the equity, the guarantees that we talked about as well, you know, that's all coming into it. And hopefully, as Ian said, you know, the, the guarantees side of things will also pick up because I think there was some optimism around how those guarantees worked originally, but that came to a standstill in some ways after a period. But actually, you know, you can see in a market where we're looking at particularly as you, as you mentioned, energy and, and the energy transition, actually getting those pieces into place and getting those big pieces of infrastructure online, having a government guarantee effectively underneath that is going to be very attractive, I would have thought, to a lot of investors in a way that if they haven't got that there, it's much more difficult perhaps for them to come in. Absolutely. And I think it's that kind of systemic change, even if it's only for a temporary period on trying to get those technologies unblocked and flowing and to be able to unlock that big pools of capital, which you see said at all of the big conferences, there is billions and billions and billions that want to go into here, but there's a little bit of a mismatch. And I think something like a guarantee really, really could help to just connect the dots together. And But it's important that they are listening to what the market wants as well. And there seems to be some acknowledgement and boundary setting that Ian wants to say, look, we're not here to compete. That is not what we're going to be doing. And I think a lot in the private sector will be glad to hear that because that has been criticisms of other efforts to do that in the past. But taking that bespoke approach to projects and to have the dexterity to respond to the different project needs of different sectors, whether that's EVs or carbon capture, 
it can't just come down to it's just a guarantee, but guarantees might help with one thing and not with another. But to see them also acknowledge that they are adapting the skill sets and the mind frames that they approach these investment decisions, I thought was a fascinating insight to imagine a boardroom of seasoned private sector veterans of investments having to say, let's take a step back and see what we can do to help this, not just does this fit our investment criteria, particularly in the context that they have to make a profit of some kind. So I thought that was a really interesting note that you touched on there. Yeah, definitely. That kind of reference to rewiring the way they approach things I thought was really interesting. And I think quite telling in terms of probably the case for all these investment infrastructure banks that we've been talking about on podcasts and other places before, that, again, one of the kind of criticisms often of these banks is that they're very slow to get started. And I wonder actually if Ian's reference to the way they've got to rethink how they approach things is perhaps an insight into why that is so often the case. Because understandably, a lot of these banks are staffed by people who are, or historically have been, private sector bankers who come at it from, as I said in the interview, it's the same, but also very different. So actually taking that step and making that change is really important. That's why I liked when he mentioned that they can focus on particular aspects that only they can have expertise in, say the policy risk that might surround new sectors coming forward. And that's something which could be a real benefit to the industry because we have heard at boardrooms in the past about the UK's long-term investment plans and some people say that there's not enough clarity involved in those or it's taking too long or perhaps some pieces of the jigsaw aren't quite there. But if you know that the UK Infrabank is getting involved in this deal or in that deal, it can provide that long-term just confidence in sectors that can be hard to pencil out sometimes, particularly when you do have competition in other jurisdictions where it is all guns blazing. I think that policy risk element of it could be critical in perhaps not all of the sectors, but over the long-term health of the UK investment industry, I think having this actionable arm that has some policy risk attached to it could be really, really useful. I think the other important thing that Ian mentioned really and underlined, I think, a few times is the fact that they are as a team trying to be, I think he used the word disciplined in the way that they are investing. And that is going to be key to how the market receives them in particular. You know, you alluded to it earlier that there have been cases in the past where people have felt that these types of bodies, particularly I think the European Investment Bank in the UK, was it was felt that you know sometimes coming into deals it wasn't necessarily needed for. I think that as long as that is in the forefront of minds when making these deals, and there's always the danger, isn't there, with a, an organisation, institution like this, of kind of mission creep, if you like, that you've got them in a room together and they are going themselves all guns blazing, let's do this deal, let's do this, oh, we can do this. You know, we have the ability to do this. So there's going to be a real need there for people to stand back and say, hang on, are we needed here? Let's always keep that as our first question, I think, on whenever anything comes through the door. Yeah, and Ian did say at one point that it's not too difficult to see whether they are needed or not, which I think is just a frank way to put it. But he said that they're here to fix problems and if they're not needed in the deal, that they shouldn't be involved. But like you say, being disciplined in that is critical. And he also reassured by saying that they match money when they invest. It's not just trying to take deals off the table for other investors. So 
there is a lot to be said. It's early stages. You don't know how this will pan out, what deals they will close. But I'm quite encouraged by listening to that. And I think people in the industry will find a role for it. There is a need because there are sectors that haven't quite got off the ground yet. So like you say, remaining disciplined, being flexible in the way that they operate, whether that is equity. And I thought it was really interesting what he said about equity and how he sees that as being an active role. Optimistic move, I think. Yeah. Well, we shall see how it pans out. Thanks very much for your time, Jonathan. And thank you to Ian as well for joining us. 